Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of A Good Drop, where we uh, explore the deepest, darkest places of Latin America and find out about Pisco. Yes, it was, of course, created in Peru, according to the Peruvians. Except the Chileans say, nah. Yeah, but the Peruvians say, uh-huh. And we just say, well, it's a good drop. Cheers. Cheers. Yes, we are talking Pisco. Uh, and yes, the first drink that came to our heads was Pisco Sour. And that's probably been the case for most of you because it is a very well-known cocktail. Hmm. It is in also, in fact, the national drink of both Peru and Chile. Funny that, considering that both of them claim ownership of it. Yeah. And interestingly enough... It's a slightly different drink between the two countries. Yeah, so obviously the International Bartenders Association have their own take on it. And their recipe calls for 45 mils of Pisco, 20 mils of sugar syrup, 30 mils of fresh lemon juice, and the egg white of one small egg. Shaken in a shaker full of ice and strained into either a chilled champagne flute or a old-fashioned glass. Mm. We have, we in fact have an old-fashioned glass in front of us because we're kind of reading off what the uh, Peruvians is half half. We're sort of leaning towards the recipe that the Peruvians put forth, which is to serve it in a old-fashioned glass, in an old-fashioned glass. Um, but their recipe was uh, three parts, uh, three parts pisco, one part lime, one part sugar syrup, and one part egg white. Yeah, in uh, most of the variations of this drink. The lemon and lime are pretty much interchangeable. Mm. And the uh, Chilean version doesn't have the egg white or sugar syrup in it. Yeah, and uh, there are variations where it's garnished with a dash of Angostura bitters. Yes. Oh, that's right. It's it's, um, no... Egg and no bitters. But the Peruvian version has bitters in it. Yeah, and the um, bitters are optional for the IBA. Hmm. I, I could definitely see them working. So, let's talk about the drink and then we'll get into some history. Because a sour, a sour can is not really good to let it sit. Yes, that is very true, because sours are a class of their own, really. Mm. That's an episode, Mickle. Well, that, whoa. <laughs> That's a heck of a drink. That's a heck of a drink right there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sour. 
You've psyched me out now. <laughs> That's a sour, sour drink. It was good. Wow. Yeah. No, it tastes pretty good. It has one hell of a punch, though. Oh, yeah. It's it's reminiscent of, uh, like, various different kinds of sour lollies slash candies, depending on which mm. country you're in and what word you use for it. Actually, this reminds me of a caperina. Interesting. Mm. In what way? The... Flavor. Um, the flavor and the uh, kick. Okay, yeah, I mean, the, the citric kick is definitely mm. caparina-ish. It's the sour that isn't like... Yeah, the, the caparina is not very sour It's not at all. sour. The, the flavor is balanced and there's... Mm. But... Yeah, no sour. But it kicks. You feel oh, it in your yeah. stomach. Yes. Yes, you do. And yeah, this you certainly, you feel it in your bones, that's mm. for sure. But the uh, the Pisco by itself has an interesting smell. Yeah. I need to open the bottle to take, smell, take another smell. It, it smells... Oh, you can definitely taste the Pisco in the... Pisco sour. I was initially thinking I'd be the lemon and the sour mix would just overwhelm everything, but no, you can still taste it. Mm. We should actually probably try some of the pisco by itself. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I'm thinking it's kind of like it's kind of like brandy, but. Uh, more subtle, like gin. Have a mm. have a smell. Like the the flavors and the the flavors are reminiscent of brandy, but it's subtle. Yeah, it's certainly like got gin. a similar smell to a to a brandy or a yeah, even a um, even a port or a sherry. Mm. A, a very grappa. Grappa, yeah. That's what it's like. Yeah, it's kind of like grappa because it's not as ballsy as brandy. Yeah, it makes sense on account of both being made on grapes. Hmm. And I mean, when we look at the origins of Pisco, forgetting which country it originated in, who it originated with can largely be agreed upon, which is the conquistadors that needed to grow grapes because they wanted wine they didn't take enough with them you know standard you know, standard problems of the time first world 16th century issue yeah. Yeah. so the the oldest use of the word pisco to denote peruvian agardiente dates dates from 1764 the uh, beverage may have we we think the beverage acquired its name from the port of Pisco in the in in the capital of Lima in Peru. So there's one tick for Peru having the origin. 
Um, from there, it was called Agardiente de Pisco and exported to Europe, especially Spain. And they decided to abbreviate it to just Pisco. Not mm. unlike uh, everybody does with port. Yeah. But uh, what's interesting is, well, I guess it has a similar origin to a lot of drinks in that it wasn't made by the people who were trying to make wine. No. It was made with the leftovers because the the people who were responsible for the production of wine, they selected the best quality grapes for their wine and they gave the leftovers to the local farmers. Here, have these, do what you want. Mm. And they began using them to produce a clear brandy-like grape liquor. It's very similar to how Grappa started too. Yeah, very similar to how Grappa started. And of course, the wines there and naturally this ended up having a very different flavor to what they would have had were they grown in Spain or Italy or wherever because of the uh, dry conditions. Mm. Well, the uh, the dry air and the plentiful water. Yeah. So by halfway through the 16th century, Peru was already producing wine for commerce. And over time... A significant amount of the a significant wine industry arose in the region. And funnily enough, it grew strong enough to threaten the Spanish merchants Spanish wine merchants. And so the Spanish Crown banned establishments of new vineyards in the Americas to protect the exports of its local industries. Yeah. And uh... however they kind of ignored it. <laughs> Yeah, so the Peru and Chile, it just it got produced and it was distributed all up and down the coast mm. and became the favorite drink of many in South America and then a valuable asset for international trade. And the valleys of Ica and Pisco accounted for more than 90% of all wine and Pisco in the region by 1764. And the production of it absolutely dwarfed the production of wine. In the early 18th century, uh, most of the most of the pisco produced was still used to fortify wine to pre- to prevent oxidization. Same same as port, they and which which they used <laughs> that face. If you drink too much, yeah, it's like whoa! It's like you know eating a warhead or something. Yeah, if you all ever had those, <laughs> so. Yeah, the uh, Agardiente was still was mostly used to fortify wine rather than drunk on its own. Uh, but yeah, and moving towards the mid and end of the 18th century, they started uh, drinking it on its own. Yeah, and then that led us from 1830 onwards for Pisco and its related cocktails to become fashionable in San Francisco, California, New York. And by the mid-1870s, during the gold rush, it was by far the most popular drink in San Francisco, even though it was sold for 25 cents a glass, which was expensive in the 1800s. And the most famous drink of the day was, in fact, Pisco Punch, invented at the famous banking exchange in San Francisco. And then in 1889, Rudyard Kipling described the taste as shavings of cherubs' wings, the glory of a tropical dawn 
Red clouds of sunset and fragments of lost epics by dead poets. Other writers of the day said it tastes like lemonade but comes back with the kick of a roped steer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Pretty much. And of course, when they say it tastes like lemonade, they're talking about it tastes like traditional American lemonade. Mm. Not like Sprite. Yeah. Yeah. Which still confuses many people. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are going, well, Sprite ain't lemonade. And, I mean, you're not wrong, but at the same time... Different country. Different country, yeah. Though we also have... It's one of those confusing things where lemonade is lemonade, but Mm. traditional lemonade is lemonade. Yep. But what we call lemonade is what other countries call Sprite, but we also call lemonade lemonade. And we just know what it is by looking at it and go, yeah, that'll be lemonade. Oh, yeah, that'll also be lemonade, but that's the other lemonade. It's like chips and chips. Yeah. We, we know what we're talking about. <laughs> we know we know the difference between crisps and hot chips. Yes, exactly. And when someone says, oi, Bruce, the Bruce is no, which Bruce you're talking about. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as we hinted in the intro... Uh, no one, no one wants to agree on who. Well, they both separately agree on who invented Pisco. Chile agrees that Chile invented Pisco, and Peru agrees Peru invented Pisco. And largely, everyone else agrees not to get involved. <laughs> yeah. So both countries claim it's their national drink. And both Peru and Chile rely on agricultural development for exportation. However, the culture and history is what drives the dispute. Both want to show the national spirit and have the right to call the centuries-old Pisco their own. But there has been confirmation in the early 1600s in Ica, Peru, a man by the name of Peru Man, sorry, a man by the name of Pedro Manuel. He died, but mentioned all of the Pisco production equipment in his will. So the money's on Peru being the creator of Pisco. Um, But there will never be a specific origin. There there may not be a specific uh, origin or branding origin for Pisco because there like Peruvian Pisco or Chilean Pisco, as there's apparently a special agreement for protecting these the, the beverage. Apparently there's a agreement protecting the beverage, so there's no... Neither of them are going to say it's Peruvian Pisco or Chilean Pisco because that kind of implies that they lost the battle. Yeah, whereas if they just say it's Pisco and all Pisco comes from Chile or Peru, mm. then... No, no, all pis- all Pisco comes from Peru. <laughs> it's Ch- Chile, Chile that does a version of it, right? <laughs> hmm. But in 1931, the Chilean government did obtain a denomination of origin and exclusivity on the product of Pisco. They did. But in 1936, the Chilean town of La Union was renamed to reinforce Chile's claim over Pisco. And then 1999 saw a resurgence of interest in traditional methods of growing and producing Pisco in Peru. The Peruvians then developed their own denomination of origin, which created much controversy because Chile already had one from 1931. Mm. 
And yeah, that leads us to now where they just both agree to disagree. Yeah. Because they both at some point or other said, no, it was us, no, it was us. But as we know, in the 1800s, Peru was definitely producing a bunch of it. Mm. But by the early 19th century, their production went into decline and Chile started producing more of it. Until now, where Chile produces, or sorry, where Chile produces about three times as much as Peru. Uh, so, let's talk about how they're produced. So, in uh, in Peru, Pisco is produced using only copper pot stills. We, we should mention first up mm. that each of those nations, both uh, both Peru and Chile, have a national day for Pisco. And a national day for the Pisco Sour. Yes, indeed. In Peru, Pisco Day is the fourth Sunday of July. If you'd like to get your Pisco on and celebrate it. <laughs> and in get, Chile... Get on the Pisco. Piscola Day is February 8th. And Pisco Sour Day in Peru is the first Saturday of February. Hmm. That's coming up. It is. So get your ingredients ready to make your Pisco Sour on the first Saturday of February. Hmm. So... Pisco is produced using copper pot stills, much like single malt whiskies, rather than continuous stills like vodka. And unlike unlike the Chile variety, Chilean variety, Peruvian Pisco is never diluted after it is distilled and enters the bottle directly at its dis- distillation strength. The production of a uh, regular Peruvian Pisco bottle requ- of a regular Peruvian Pisco bottle requires about 8 kilos of grapes, and a Mosto Verde variety needs about 12 kilos. That's a surprising amount. I didn't expect it to be quite so much. Yeah, it is surprising. It Wow. Mm. That's a lot of ingredients to make... One bottle. One bottle, yeah. Hmm. But when you think about it, it makes sense, because first off, you've got to crush the grapes to get the juice... And then you've got to uh, distill the, the fermented juice and fermented must into your final product. Yeah, and of course you distill anything and you end up with less of it. Certainly when you start with grapes, much less. So the types of types of Peruvian Pisco, we have uh, Puro or Pure, made from a single variety of grape. Mostly quebranta, quebranta, although molar or common black can be used. However, no blending between varieties is allowed. We've got aromaticas or aromatic, made from musket or musket-derived grape varieties. Uh, Mosto verde, green must, distilled from partially fermented must, and must be di- distilled before the fermented before the fermentation process has completely transformed the sugars into alcohol. That must be quite sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty sweet in what we're drinking. Now, we really do need to taste it by itself mm. so we can talk to the original flavor of it. Yeah. The last one is the Acalado, blended from the must of several varieties. A couple of other things to note are aging and 
Pisco must be aged for a minimum of three months in vessels made of glass, stainless steel, or any other material which does not alter its physical, chemical, or organic properties. That explains why it's always a very pale or clear-coloured drink. Yeah, because it's going straight into something that does nothing. Yeah, doesn't add any flavours to the... Yeah, so it'll never be stored in wood. It'll always be glass or ceramics or... Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is, there's no additives or... uh, No additives of any kind are allowed to be added to Pisco that could alter its flavor, odor, or appearance. Mm. Or alcoholic proof. does make me wonder what would happen if we put Pisco in an oak barrel. The Peruvians would sail across the ocean and... Cut your hair off. Yes, they would tell us it was no longer Pisco, it was an abomination. Yes. Yep. Yeah, so there's uh, four classifications in Chilean Pisco. The Pisco Corriento o Tradicional, which is 30% to 35%. Pisco Especial, 35% to 40%. Pisco Reservado, 40%. And Gran Pisco, 43%. Or more. So we're talking 86 proof. This is stuff you can breathe fire with. And the regulation for Pisco producing in Chile is quite high. Chilean distilleries are required to grow their own grapes and are grouped into two categories based in aromatic expressiveness. Musket types, pink musket, musket of Alexandria, are very fragrant, while Pedro Nimenez Moscatel de Asturia and Torrentel are more subtle. The special and reserve variations are very similar in flavor and color, both being subtly sweet and of a clear birch to transparent color. The flavor is much stronger than regular Pisco with aromatic, refreshing tones. Now, the important thing to remember with Chilean Pisco is that the most widespread grape used as raw material was the musket grape with some vineyards preferring the Torrentel and Pedro Jimenez varieties. And, um, yeah, and that comes into it with the classifications, of course. But interesting that musket, which is a grape we're not... Particularly fond particularly of. Particularly fond of. I know you're not fond of it. Mm, well, it, it depends what you do with it. When you mix it with something else, <laughs> different story. And I don't mind it. It's just not wine. But it's great for making Pisco. Like, because they to... add complexity to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Moscato goes down easy. I'll give it that. Mm. But then and, you, you weren't a fan of the musket. No. Either. For, for the same reason. Yeah. It was like port without the complexity. Yeah. It goes down easy, but why am I drinking this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the process of making Pisco, before we head on out, the process of making Pisco all come from the fermentation of specific grapes. Grapes go through a process called grape stomping, which usually occurs in the afternoon to avoid the dry heat on the coast of Peru. A group of men spread around the wine press and stomp to their heart's content, singing and joking and drinking Pisco punch. So drinking Pisco while they make Pisco. Love it. (laughs) Yeah, that works if you're going to stomp, stomp, stomp some grapes. Hmm. The juice then falls into the saturation basin called the puntaya, Here, the juice will sit for 24 hours, and then uh, later the juices are restored in fermentation tubs. The fermentation process usually lasts seven days. 
So the natural yeasts in the grape skin can take in the sugars and process it into alcohol. Usually the Pisco producers will control the temperature of the fermentation. So this sour mix is really making my mouth frothy. Yeah, it's crazy. Usually the Pisco producers will control the (laughs) temperature of the fermentation so the heat does not increase. Otherwise, the natural aroma of the grapes will evaporate and not give the Pisco a certain characteristic that is crucial in high-quality Pisco. How many times have I said Pisco in that damn sentence? Ugh. So when the, when the fermentation process is over, the pisco will is disti- the pisco is distilled in large copper basins. Oh, I'm glad that passage is over. It's you know I don't I don't mind it from like we've had a lot of weird things and this is something that yeah this is this is a I mean it's probably the cocktail talking but. I don't mind this. Yeah, I mean, the the Pisco Sour is a very pleasant, albeit very sour, as you'd expect from the name, mm. cocktail. But what does it taste like by itself? We're about to find out. Yes, me, myself, and I want to know. All right, Mikkel, what does it taste like? Yeah, so, because we, we can't just have this in a cocktail and tell you, well, a Pisco Sour is nice, because we're not talking about the Pisco Sour. No. We're talking about Pisco. No, and but we had to try it neat because... Or we we drank it in the Pisco Sour because that's how most people drink it. I don't um, I don't think people drink this neat anymore. No, and certainly straight out of... Straight out of the bottle, the smell was very reminiscent of a brandy or a sherry. Or grappa. But, or grappa, yes. But out of the glass, the smell is not reminiscent of that at all. No, it's more like um, halfway between tequila and vodka. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that makes me wonder if it tastes more like a tequila. And in my research, I did see it often described as a mix between exactly what you said, tequila and vodka, Mm. which you don't expect off something made with grapes. But then, of course, you know, what do you expect from potatoes? Certainly not (laughs) vodka. I mean, you do now, yeah. but, you know, several thousand years ago, they expected them to just sit there and grow a plant. Yeah. So how the times have changed. And the Chilean, uh, Chileans uh, describe it as, well, not, not so much describe it, but classify it similar to te- uh, tequila with the rep- uh, Reserva Especial. Yeah. So you just had a nip. And it is, the flavor is very reminiscent of tequila. It doesn't taste like tequila, and the Mm. aftertaste definitely doesn't taste like tequila. (laughs) That's an aftertaste like something I don't think I'll ever be able to put my finger on. Mm. That's the aftertaste of Pisco. I think I'm going to have to taste it. Yeah, it's... Definitely unique. It's similar to a lot of things, but very unique at the same time. Mm, it's like a tequila, but with a, a more of a woody flavor. Yeah. Woody and um, and corn. Oh, that's it. Yes, corn. Mm. How strange. Yeah, from grapes. From grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, corn. 
How about that? Like it tastes, the aftertaste is how corn, popcorn kernels smell before you cook them. Yes, that's that's exactly because I couldn't put my finger on it. Like yeah. it was, yeah. There you go. It's it's weird. It's, it's odd, but it goes amazing in cocktails. It does. Like by itself, yeah. No, don't do that. No, it's it's okay, but it's much better in a cocktail. Mm. If we had the time, we would tell you the many many cocktails you can make with it. Let, let's do the top three though. Yeah. So of course we've we've already named off the top two. Pisco sour and Pisco sour and the Pisco Punch. Now the Pisco Punch is pineapple, gum arabic, and syrup, among other things. Mm. And the what's the third one? And the third I'll get back to it because I changed freaking pages. <laughs> and the Well, third most popular would uh undoubtedly have to be the piscola, which in Chile is also called Combinado Nacional or just Combinado. And uh, Combinado Nacional means national cocktail. Mm. And it's Coke and Pisco. What? Oh, Piscola. Piscola. Huh. We have to mention Piscola because it's national cocktail in Chile. That it is. So I haven't really got anything else. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's it for for us and Pisco, and we'll let you know what's coming next after this message from us. After <laughs> this message from us. Uh, so if you liked what you heard, everyone, be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. You can find us on your favorite podcast apps, including Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, we are a good drop all about alcohol. You can also find us on the socials, Facebook and occasionally Instagram, as a good drop podcast. And if you want to check out our check out our backlog of previous episodes, we've got a website, a goodrop.com.au. And if you want to send us a message, if you want to send us an email with uh, suggestions, uh, if you've got a favorite Pisco cocktail that we didn't mention, uh, send us an email to a good drop at gmail.com and now be sure to tune in for our next episode we're having another blinder with Shiraz Shiraz blind taste test oh man cheap Shiraz we have to muscle through some cheap Shiraz yeah it's um, if we're lucky they will select us some good cheap Shiraz I hope so it exists it does. I, re- I really hope so because I've had cheap Shiraz and I wanted to tear my tongue out. <laughs> anyway, we'll find out how well that goes next week. Until then, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.